All right, we are rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hello there, Misketeers, and welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. Now, you, the listener, may not have caught it, but while Tari was doing that spiel, he was uploading his AI into your device, and now he controls everything that you do, and he will be subtly manipulating the events of the next day or so in the shadows. Oh, yeah. Oh, see, oh sh- I used the word shadows. I didn't you even did. plan that. What? That was, I'm so good that I'm tying things together subconsciously. Oh, wow. To do, do, do electric Lex's dream of <laughs> electric sheep? Nope. Okay, yep. there's that's a, no, but see, you're doing it too, right? That's a uh, Android's dream of electric sheep is the basis for Blade Runner, the movie that uh, co-starred uh, Rudger Hauer as Roy Batty, and here he is again as an evil robot guy. Yes. Um, so if you stumbled into this episode and you don't know what we're talking yeah, you're about, like, what the fuck? <laughs> we are discussing uh, the. Book turned audio, uh, like audio drama called Alien Out of the Shadows. It was originally written in 2014 by Tim LeBaron. Um, and it was created as an audio drama by audio, Audible Studios in 2016. Uh, it was directed by Dirk, Dirk Mags, Mags. Which, by the way, that name, A, rocks, and B, you you could only have a name like that in real life. That's the type of name that if you named a fictional character that, people would be like, uh, that's ridiculous. That's like, you might as well have named him like Chuck Grizzly. Uh, <laughs> but in real life, it's like, oh, that's your name? That's a super cool name. Right. Yeah. Um, and this guy has a, a pretty good pedigree. He used to direct a lot of um, Hitchhiker's Guide stuff. I think he did a couple Doctor Who's. Um, Wait, like the did he, the original Hitchhiker's Guide? I don't know radio if he did the stuff? original. Okay. I just know he did because that was a minute ago, right? Which that was very good too. Yeah. So if that was Dirk Mags, well done, Dirk Mags. <laughs> uh, he also did, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, recent audio drama adaptation of William Gibson's Alien Three. Oh, script, nice. Which they, which I talked about on a Missing Out Monday, they adapted into a, a five issue comic series a little while yeah. ago. But uh, it's got uh, the audio drama version. I just today just started listening to it. It's only it's about feature film length. It's like two hours and change. Okay, which stands to reason. Um, and it features Michael Bean and Lance Henriksen returning as Hicks and Bishop. So Dirk Mags uh, come back playing in the sandbox again with his sweet ass name. Yep, I think he's the the go to. For the because they made all of the uh, the like in between trilogy like river uh, some river blood or river space um, and sea of sorrows. <laughs> it's the these are the alien books right. that were created as the in between trilogy. What is uh, it? Blood river? Sauce? I don't remember. I, I I literally just made very explicit that I didn't remember the, the name. Right. A- Alien Blood River Sauce. <laughs> yep, Blood River Sauce. Yeah. Um, and the last one, Sea of Sorrow. Okay. Um, so all of them have been made into audio dramas. I believe he worked on all three. 
Um, and I guess he also did uh, Aliens 3. Yeah. Um, and so if you are unfamiliar, this trilogy takes place uh, in between the Aliens movies. So uh, the first one, which we're talking about, takes place between Alien and Aliens. Um, and it features Ripley. Uh, and then I believe they kind of spin off from there. So it's not necessarily like having to do with the main series as much because they essentially kind of build their own mythology uh, in this series. Okay. Um, Because it takes place on a different LV planet than all of the other ones. Uh, Alien and Aliens takes place on LV-426, right? Yes. Um, But this one takes place on LV-178. Technically, most of Alien takes place on the Nostromo, but yes, LV-426 is where they find like the space jockey and all the eggs. Right, and, and the derelict. And where John Hurt's like, what's in there? Oh, no. <laughs> that's my John wow, Hurt. That's a really yeah. good John Hurt. Wow, spot on. Thank you. It's like watching the Elephant Man yeah, live. It, <laughs> it was like he came came back to life. Um, oh, you made it sad. It, he was everyone, alive in that moment, and then you reminded all of us he is deceased. Everyone knows that John Hurt's dead. <laughs> He's in the Hurt Locker. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening to the final ever episode <laughs> of Missing Out. I cannot continue with this shitty endeavor any longer. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to be hosting this alone. Uh, <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Missing Out. Uh, I'm Tari J. And I'm going to be talking about Alien today. And I'm not going to mention David once because... I don't care about that character. I'm going to talk about my own stuff. Oh, boy. Guys, did you know that Rutger Hauer reprised his role as Ash in this in this audio drama? Oh, boy. It was really cool. And uh, what else? Um, no one else you're reprised getting, there. You're, you're getting angry tweets from people telling you that Rutger Hauer was not an alien. <laughs> Ian Holm uh, was Ash. Was he? Yeah, in Alien. Someone, I thought I had read that he was Ash, but maybe I was wrong. Yeah, no, Ian Holm was Ash in Alien. And so what I what I really like, if we're talking about the casting, right, um, what I really like about this, this audio drama in terms of how it handles the returning characters, you've got an actress named Laura Lefko playing Ripley. And yeah. I think she's doing a really really good Sigourney Weaver yes. as Ripley, like really good. And then you have Rudger Hauer as Ash, and it's very clear immediately that no effort whatsoever was made uh, to make him sound like Ian Holm. And I love that they lampshade it in the audio drama when they first discover that he is, uh, uh, this is early in the story, yeah. that he is uh, controlling the shuttle that, that Ripley escaped the Nostromo in. She's like, you, you sound different. And he's basically like, yes, I am a talking computer, and this computer has this voice. My <laughs> AI is me, but this is computer voice. Yeah, I actually really like that. <laughs> that he's like, this is the voice that was programmed into the computer, right. so like, this is what I'm going to sound like from now on. Right, like this is how we sidestep getting Rudger Hauer in the booth and going, okay, do Ian Holm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, I'm back on the show, by the way. Oh, yeah. I, I quit, came, but I, I came back. Yeah, the hearing me uh, state an incorrect fact it's, sent him it's barreling me. back into the podcast. I literally just, put, like, poof, like Nightcrawler popped back into the room, and I was like, what happened? Where am I? <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, that's how I summon Lex is I, st- I state incorrect things and he's like, well, um, actually. Uh, no, and I hate, I hate being that dude. I really don't like being that dude, but we'd get angry tweet. <laughs> They'd be like, your entire conversation was built on a faulty premise. <laughs> um, well, that was the last time I was going to mention Ash at all. Uh, I was only going to talk about that sweet, sweet Sigourney stand-in. <laughs> and, of course, uh, uh, Laura Lefko's listening to this episode going, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you knew what this was when you started. <laughs> She's like, I have a fucking name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, uh, she did a very great, good job of being... Uh, being Ripley and and I think that also a credit to the writing where I feel like it really captured the essence of Ripley from Alien. Yes. And uh, managed and she managed to really enhance that character. Yes, um that it 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 is absolutely it's both uh her performance and also the and I haven't read this in novel form, so I'm not sure. Obviously, they they adapted it. This this cannot be a direct translation. This is very much an audio drama. It's like you know, it's, right. a, it's a a play for your ears. Um, I don't know how much of the dialogue was lifted directly from Tim uh, Levin's novel, but uh, I would assume a healthy portion of it. And yes, you have to credit the writing because everything that Ripley said, almost, I'm sure in the four hours and change of, of this story, maybe something she says is not like genetically engineered Ripley dialogue perhaps, but I think he did a really great job capturing her voice. And then I think the performance really makes the thing come to life in a way that doesn't break the consistent reality of the thing. The way I feel like you very easily could have, if there was the slightest misstep in either the writing or the performance. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we can't really move forward too much without getting into deep spoiler territory. Yes, uh, because because right right away, I, I will say I enjoyed this overall um, because of its placement in the timeline. It's, yeah. it's a it's an interquel, if you will, between Alien and Aliens, where uh, Aliens, the opening of Aliens, implies very heavily that nothing of great import happened with Ripley between her escape from the Nostromo and when she's discovered. Yeah. How, how do they reconcile one with the other? So that was my big mm, going in. And despite that, I, I sort of gave myself over to it. Yeah. And I found a lot to enjoy. And I will say one more totally non-spoilery thing. Um, I think the sound design in this thing is really great. Yeah. My favorite thing about the entire production by far is that they use the computer sounds from mm-hmm. from Alien, and every time that the computer sound hits, um, it's like a weird Pavlovian happy response in me for some reason. Yeah, um, it feels like they had the full slate of like uh, Alien sound effects that they could just kind of play around with, and it, it really enhanced the whole venture because it really it wasn't them trying to replicate it; it was the the sound effects you were familiar with right um but again um, now i'm dropping down the spoiler wall um and so if if you haven't experienced the thing and you don't want to be spoiled uh then this is your point of no return uh and before we as as we do every week um to give you time i would like to remind you to 
subscribe if you're not already subscribed. We're on all platforms. Let's say you just kind of happened on one of our uh, episodes or you're like, I'm just here for alien out of the shadows talk. I don't know who these assholes are. Um, Well, uh, we have a whole slate of episodes that you can go back and listen to. Um, We are on iTunes, uh, Google Play Store, Stitcher, Spotify, all of the things. Uh, And you know what helps us? It it helps us if you leave a rating or a review or both. Uh, That also helps us in that it helps other people find us. And as everyone knows, the greatest form of marketing is word of mouth uh so in doing so in rating and reviewing it helps other people uh find us without you having to literally walk up to someone and go listen to missing out it's so good but if you want to you know like i don't know maybe you take the train on your commute if you want to make friends you just pop out one of your earbuds do it right now pop out one of your earbuds and look across the car and go hey hey yeah <laughs> and and after about the 30 minute mark they'll finally go okay what and you'll be like check it out and you stick one of your earbuds in their ear oh yeah and not only do we have a new audience member but you have a friend for life exactly damn lex you know what's up i i love bringing people together good good and that's the best way to do so <laughs> Um, all right, so I feel like we've given a good amount of time, so we will uh, come back with spoilers right after this message. Can Harry Potter cast a spell on Black Widow's heart? Would the Doctor and Niles Crane write a prescription for love? Do Cthulhu and Godzilla have compatible genitals? These are the questions you should be ashamed for asking. But if you want answers, listen to Ships in the Night. It's a fanfic podcast where we put two fictional characters into a relationship. And figure out what would happen if they bumped uglies. Ships in the night. Listen every Tuesday. But listen quietly. It's super not safe for work. All right. We are back and the spoiler wall is down. So y'all, if you you bet us be ready to talk about some sweet, sweet alien stuff. Because we spoiling up in here. Consider us the thing that uh, is on the back of a car because we're spoilers. Oh boy. Um, so... <laughs> Um, so here's a thing that I really liked about the audio drama Mm. and subsequently it led me to learn something about a a deleted scene from aliens is they introduced this idea of, uh, Amanda Ripley. Yeah. And if you, uh, haven't listened, uh, Amanda Ripley is Ripley's daughter that she left at home. And so the the whole audio drama starts with her sending a message to Amanda saying she'll be home in a few weeks, yes. which we know doesn't happen. Right. The uh, That message, by the way, I read was not in the original novel. That's something they crafted for the audio drama. Oh, interesting. Yes. Um, and so uh, it led me to, in my research, find that I guess there's a um, a deleted scene from Aliens where uh, essentially... Uh, Ripley learns about the fate of her daughter. Right. And it's the first time it's introduced to us as the audience. And it also, uh, Sigourney Weaver was very upset that that was removed because it really paints uh, Ripley's character in Aliens because she develops this relationship with Newt, right. who is her surrogate daughter-esque figure. Right. And so it really kind of points that motivation in that direction. It uh, Yes, I think the movie... As it was released theatrically, I think it works without that. But with the inclusion of that scene, yeah, it adds this 
really profound, heartbreaking layer to it because in in Aliens, when we start our story, whereas at the beginning of Out of the Shadows, Ripley awakens after being in hypersleep for 37 years, Aliens picks up a full 20 years after that. She's been gone for 57 years. That's, right. a, that's a, Her daughter has lived an entire existence without her, without w- assuming that her mother was dead, was never coming back. Yeah. Um, but you bring up Aliens. I do think it's really interesting. Aliens is an example of a movie where, now, of course, with the Alien movies, um, like Ridley Scott's director's cut of the first movie, James Cameron's director's cut of the of the second movie, are now just as accessible as the theatrical versions. I do think it's interesting that going forward, different iterations of uh, alien stories set in that franchise took as canon scenes from aliens that were not in the original theatrical version, that being one of them. And also, if I'm not very much mistaken, the scene in Aliens where you learn... Ripley's first name and Hicks's first name. I don't believe that's in the theatrical version of the movie. I think mm. it's, I think, I think someone will tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I think it's only in the director's cut, but every version of the story that featured that character, even in passing, it's Ellen Ripley. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I think it's, it's the relatively rare instance of uh, a movie where you could watch the original version of it and not not get everything that was embraced by canon after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alien is a very big, like it created a whole new universe where people were able to really splash around with the established canon, create their own canon. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that like at this point isn't canon anymore. Right. Um, and it's interesting that these books, this one, uh, blah, 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 River, um, and it? Sea of Sorrow. Space River Sauce. Yeah, Space River Sauce. Yeah. Um, that they are, in fact, canon. Like, they were created around the 20th anniversary of the first Alien, and they decided to make these specifically canon in the universe of Alien. In addition to the... There are a few other offshoots, which are Alien versus Predator. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of Alien versus Predator stuff. Yeah. That is ancillary to, the, obviously, there were the two movies, but there's a ton of, of comics. There are novels. There's, it's huge. Like, I, I I was aware there was this whole, like, s- smaller, like, sub-industry built around ancillary tie-in Alien franchise stories. Yeah. But I feel like I underestimated how much there was. Didn't Batman fight them at one point? Um, probably. Wasn't there like an alien versus predator versus Batman type deal that now that I'm, I'm vaguely remembering something like that exists. I'm, I feel remiss and ashamed that I have not like shot that directly into my veins. (laughs) Well, this is a good chance for you to do so. Yeah. I'm, I'm the one missing out today, bro. Hell yeah. It's me. I'm the misser outer. Oh Yeah. The other thing, though, when when you refer to all of these ancillary materials that are considered canon, this is this is me personally. I'll, look, if the people responsible for the franchise say it's canon, all right, it's canon. But to me, it always feels like if it's if it's not on screen, if it's not in a movie uh, with a franchise like this, it to me it's canon in big finger quotes. Interesting, uh, and especially with something like like this story. Um, you have to, because of the way it slots into the timeline, you really have to bend over backwards to make it align with canon as we know it. Right. And that, 
I mean, we're we're in spoilers. So like my least favorite thing about this story by far is the way at the end to to create a scenario in which Ripley could conceivably wake up another 20 years later at the beginning of Aliens and not mention this adventure once you literally literally have to wipe her memory. Right. And I was just like, no, just at that point, I I get like wanting to have Ripley in the story. And I think they did a really great job with the execution of that character. Yeah. But that choice made me go, just then just create another character and tell this story. Yes. So that kind of gets me into one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is the the inclusion of Ripley in this story at all, Um, because it had like. Here's the thing. It takes place on a different LV planet than all the other things. And like it, you can have a story that takes place in between the two alien movies that uh, doesn't involve the main alien crew. Like it can it can talk about things that have happened like, oh, we got reports about something weird happened on the Nostromo right. or like they intercept a distress call but like they're like especially because at the beginning they're like well that person's probably long dead um i think that i get the idea of including ripley because that's a fan favorite character and it ties into what people already know about the franchise and it's a way to i feel like uh sort of assuage those feelings some of the feelings that i was just describing in certain segments of the audience where it's like okay we, we get it. It's a tie-in thing, and you don't know how, like, legit canon this is. But look, motherfuckers, Ripley's here. This is real alien and shit. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think it would have been a slightly stronger story uh, without her. Because it would have allowed us to experience, once again, the discovery of having to find out what these aliens are. Mm-hmm. And and I, know, I get that, like, people are so familiar with the, the xenomorphs that having to listen to people be like, oh, acid for blood again, it, it's like watching Uncle Ben die, you know, like it's, <laughs> or, or the Waynes. Right. Yeah. Um, so. You, so, yes, having to see people discover it uh, again is kind of old hat and, and it kind of creates a shorthand where. Ripley is like, I've dealt with this before. Here's what we're dealing with. And you can move forward. Right. And you do need a character like Ripley or at the very least somebody who would have that knowledge to be in the story because you need somebody less for the other characters, more for the audience guiding you through. Right. But I also feel like I think that to me, the interesting aspect of the story is these people who are ill-prepared to take on the aliens having to fight their way through. So the difference between this one specifically and aliens is that in aliens, it is Marines and they're they're They have all these crazy weapons, but in, in this one, it's a bunch of miners and some engineers who kind of threw together a bunch of stuff that they uh, were just tinkering around with. And now it has to be, put into action because they have a threat to face. Right. And in that respect, it's a lot more like the first movie where they're essentially space truckers. You know, they're, they're not equipped for that situation whatsoever. Right. And you, you see in that story, them essentially having to rely on whatever wits they can, they can cobble together for themselves. And then also whatever equipment that they can appropriate as weaponry. Yeah. And so in that regard, like, and I love, 
I love everything that they do with Ripley in this and that like it really builds out that character and it really like allows you to spend time that you don't usually get to spend with Ripley in a more intimate setting. Right. Like long passage and my favorite stuff in in this production was just the long talky bits. Yeah. Because in the movies, obviously, you know, you, you have only so much real estate. You get some really nice uh, dramatic character scenes with Ripley in those movies. You get a few, but you don't get to just sit and talk for extended periods of time because you've only got like two hours and change. Right. And at some point, monsters got to eat somebody and we got to run around and yell and stuff. Yeah. And so I, 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 I love those aspects and I'm glad that we got them. I just really wonder what the story would have been like if it hadn't had to include Ripley and the like Ash aspect which uh, they also kind of have to bend over backwards to be like, oh, yeah, man, he's he's really pushing them towards doing these things. And 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 so you have to kind of feel like there's a like a hand of God aspect in that, like a lot of the things that he's like guiding them towards um, is also kind of happenstance. He's like, yes, I'm going to send them down this elevator shaft. But he doesn't really know what's down there. He doesn't know that there is another derelict that they could explore. And so like, it's coincidental that they so happen to be infected as well. And now he's trying to like get another alien to harness. Um, So I feel like without those pieces, this could have been a really interesting study in, in, in terms of like how a group of people in a bigger colony deal with this invading threat. Right. So um, that is kind of where I'm at, but I still really enjoyed it. Uh, and I also loved every aspect of the like, you know, captain's log with Ash and and also just kind of the budding relationship with uh, Hooper and uh, Ripley, which was a cute little thing that ended up being real tragic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I mean, that's that's a feature of, of these alien stories is that just about everybody has to die. Right. Either die or be stranded in space. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was the moment when he was like, oh boy, I'm going to get back to my kids and I'm going to be so, they're going to be so happy to see me and I'm going to spend so much time with them because, man, my wife was like, I'm running away. And I was like, oh boy, you're doomed. Yeah, and then at the end of the story, he's just floating out there with bourbon being like, well, space blood sauce, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking chugs the bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's River of Pain. I think is the name of the space blood sauce. <laughs> um, but yeah, what do you think is in the river? Pain. Yeah, blood sauce. Yeah, exactly. Sp- uh, space blood sauce. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, so talking, speaking of Hooper, um, we get a, a new cast of characters. Uh, all of them. They are also kind of like, you know engineers space trucker type like miners uh a a science officer um and we don't get too much time with them but i feel like they are uh colorful enough that you really get to know them in a good way yes um they're caring uh and i forget the name of the the science officer who gets infected but i really enjoyed how she being a scientist 
uh, understood that she's she got to go. She's infected. She got to die. Right. Um, that's uh, Snedden, the character Snedden. Yeah. And yeah, in the back, sort of like the third act of this story, she's she got hit with a face hugger, and they spend a few scenes talking about, like, you know, Ripley knows what happens, right? She saw it happen to, to Kane, the John Hurt character in the first movie. Once that thing's on your face, it's going to put its embryo inside your body, and the thing's going to grow and then rip out through your chest, and there's basically nothing you can do about it. This yeah. person's dead you know what i mean um so then snedden wakes up and they talk her through it and then you you get to spend a little bit of time with this character walking around knowing that she is uh, a host uh, like an incubator if you will for this thing that's going to rip out through her torso and kill her essentially no matter what yeah and we don't really get to play in that space too much in the movies as they exist yeah i because because of the the medium and they have to kind of explicitly state how people are feeling at any given moment i really like this aspect that especially because she knows that it's coming that she every so often will be like i can feel it and and you really get a, a sense of like that dread of knowing that she is doomed and how she is emotionally processing it mm-hmm. in each given moment like she's like uh, like right before it uh burst from her chest where she expresses how she can feel it like chewing on her insides and you're like oh I don't. it's it's a really dark horrific inversion of what like a healthy happy pregnancy is you right know what i mean like because it's like you know like when when women are pregnant that everybody's heard people say like oh i can feel the baby kicking and stuff um this is like that, but horrifying. Right. This is this is like that, but like dudes in there kicking like, I'm an alien and stuff. And then, and then yeah, that's how they sound. Yeah. I really like that voice actor who's all the aliens. And they're <laughs> like, oh my God, there's hundreds of them. And they're all like, oh, I'm an alien. But they like uh, just layer, they have them do it a couple of times right. and they just like double, 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 double it. Of course. So pretty, it's just a room of like, hey, I'm an alien. <laughs> Great performance. Yes. Um, but yeah, like the the... The idea that there is this horrific thing growing inside you that'll kill you. And also, I mean, to, to like take it in a, a direction that's like not jokey, that's super real. Like that's also a uh, metaphor for disease as well. You know what I mean? Like think about like people who have uh, various forms of cancers, right? Like you've got and that's not treatable. You've got something that's growing inside of you that no matter what you do is going to kill you. Yeah. And, and quite probably in the very near future how do you how do you walk around with that you know what i mean like how does that affect how you live moment to moment how does that affect how you're processing things that are happening to you and so on right um so this is this is less fun than a traditional pregnancy more fun than cancer (laughs) yeah it just lives somewhere in between yeah there's a there's a spectrum i mean yeah and unfortunately we don't all have a ripley to just be like shoot her in the face (laughs) shoot her (laughs) incinerate her with your your acid blaster um which i mean i wish we all did you know (laughs) i just more more folks with (laughs) flamethrowers of course that's uh, if i were ever to run for public office that would be it would be the more flamethrowers platform Mm, yes it's a good it's it's a good one uh you get get elected immediately burn it down Um, but, uh, so I want to, so back to kind of Ash a little bit, Mm. um, we get a lot of like monologues where he's essentially recording his thoughts, 
for to send to Waylon Utani. Mm-hmm. Utani? Yeah, Waylon Utani. Yeah, I did it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, it it ultimately uh, they never get them because the when the uh, Delilah crashed into the ship, basically it destroyed their short range antenna. So you know, got to maintain that that continuity, baby. Right. Yeah, Waylon can never know. They can never know what happened. Ooh. It's a spooky scary. I'm reminding everyone that this is a spooky scary I month. Like, I like the computer fingers. In my head, Ash is doing that. Yes, of and, course. And the little finger waves you were doing are the computer fingers. Well, yes, that's that's what makes the the little typey sound. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I like the progress of this character in that it really reflects. I, I, I have to assume, especially since this was written uh, after Prometheus uh, and you had a little taste of David, um, that there was a lot of this idea of the AI becoming so advanced and, and starting to feel and things of that sort, which influenced this Ash character, which like we had a lot like he passed as human in, in alien. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you could assume that, you know, he spent time with humans and, and had an idea of what they feel, but now you get a sense of his internal thought process and how he feels about things. And it goes from being a very menacing character who's, who's pulling the puppet strings of all these humans to wondering what his purpose is in, in, beyond his like primary directive and feeling that loneliness. Right. Uh, I will, I will forgive this production for not heavily featuring David in any capacity whatsoever, only because this was written and produced, right. You said like shortly after Prometheus. Um, well, it was written uh, three years after Prometheus. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Prometheus was was the the reception was a little lukewarm to Prometheus. I do think uh, it's it's better than people remember, but reception was a little lukewarm, and we did not know yet. We we did not know as a culture that David was one of the greatest cinematic characters of all time. <laughs> okay. Um, that is an opinion. It's a strong opinion. I can, I look, obviously I'm being hyperbolic. I do think he is easily the most compelling character in the alien franchise and one of the more compelling characters in modern, uh, at, at least at the movies, modern science fiction. Right. I think his existence really throws off a lot of the concepts of androids in, uh, the original alien franchise in that there's a moment and I think it's, Aliens, um, A L I E N C E. Um, shut up. <laughs> uh, it's either an alien, yeah, it's either an aliens or it's in this. Maybe I'm remembering it. Okay. <laughs> um, where they were like, there's a synth that like looks like a, uh, that looks and acts like a human that passes for human. And they're like, wow, that's unheard of. Um, and you're like, well, obviously this there have been human passing since since whenever David was created. I don't, but I don't know that David ever passed for human. I feel like everybody was always very aware that he was synthetic. I don't know, man. But like when they meet him, well, I guess in Alien Covenant, 
um, they're also like, you look like Walter. Right. Like at a certain, yeah, exactly. At a certain point, he's either an android himself because he looks exactly like Walter or in, in Alien 3, because they wanted to bring back Lance Henriksen in some capacity, uh, he's he's like, I think they call the character Bishop Prime. So he's, spo- he's a human, but he's supposed to be, he's like the guy that they based Bishop on. Right. So at, at most, maybe David could be that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure right away everybody's like, oh yeah, you're a robot too. Yeah, maybe. It just, it like, really, it... it David's existence kind of irks my gullies. Um, Just because it doesn't totally, like like the story we're talking about, doesn't completely line up with established canon? Right. I feel, here's here's the only, because I, I totally feel that. Um, it doesn't bother me really for two reasons. One, Ridley Scott made the first movie. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, <laughs> two, I guess in my head, I don't think about Prometheus and Alien Covenant as needing to line up with the original movies necessarily. Like Mm. they're like, you know, quote unquote prequels, but they're not really direct prequels to that original story. Um, They're more like we're going to take some of these toys and play in that sandbox and, and play with these and use them in service of really big ideas that are different than the ideas we were playing with in the original. So that's why it, it doesn't like, I don't really, I get totally get what you're saying. Yeah. I just don't bump up against it quite as much. I mean, I guess we'll find out there's supposed to be another one, right? I, there's it's alien covenant too. <laughs> yes. I think that's what, <laughs> I think that's I, what it's supposed to be called. I would, no, look, I, I know that uh, obviously there are a lot of different opinions about alien covenant. Some people love it. Some people really, really do not. Yeah. It didn't light the world on fire at the box office. I would honestly be surprised if he got to do another one. Very pleasantly surprised, but I'm not holding my breath for it. I hope so, because like I said, like I, I, as as I think is clear, I really love that character, right? Um, and I would love to see where because at the end of of Covenant, spoilers, David kind of wins. Yeah, you know. So I really want to see what happens next for that dude. Um. But I'm not, I'm not anticipating. But I like, you know what? If we don't get any more, I like the idea that the story ends with him winning. Right. Yeah. I mean, I thought in in 2017 they were like still in talks about a a, a sequel. He so. says Ridley Scott said he wanted to do one. Right. But then it Covenant didn't do crazy well, and so I don't know. Meh. Um. So, but that kind of leads me into the established canon in terms of like the, or not the canon, but the like greater mythology of this universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in like the Prometheus um, we get the idea of the engineers, yes. right? Um, but we get a different set of aliens in this story. I'd almost forgotten about these like Anubis looking aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I believe they are called the, Drew, uh, Drew Cothy. Sure. Um, I Dr- bet Drew Cothy. It's D R U K A T H I. Drew Cothy. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's, that's how that sounds. Right. Um, and so the way they're described in the audio play or in the book is that they have, they have, they're like quadrupedal, but then they also have like two upper limbs. So you could imagine them being like Anubis, like centaur kind of things, but their bottom half is like a dog. Yeah. Um, and they use organic materials to create their ships. And it seemed like they were, 
an ancient species that was experimenting with and incubating these aliens. Yes. Um, and I, in my research, I guess they had, they are implied to have been at war with the engineers. Um, and I guess also they're, they're, they're mentioned in passing in a lot of the subsequent materials. So in sea of sorrows, they're also mentioned. And then in some of the alien versus predator books, they are also mentioned. All right. Um, Cause like now predator is part of the greater. I- I'm wondering like how Canon do we consider like alien versus predator stuff? I know the movies aren't really considered Canon at yeah. all. The Canon, the movies aren't Canon. Some of the books are canon though okay interesting so uh i think like alien versus predator invasion something like that is is canon uh i would have to like go back and i read skimmed a bunch of information uh so some of this is in my brain and some of it's not but um like in a couple of the instances of alien versus predator books they are um also mentioned as one of the like other ancient races interesting yeah. See, I feel like I've never been, well, no, that's not true. I have not, by and large, been a big tie-in literature guy, with a big exception being, like, like many young nerds, I devoured a lot of the old, like, Star Wars Expanded Universe stuff. Um, but I feel like, especially after listening to this audio drama and feeling like, even though I don't love absolutely every facet of how they do need to bend over backwards to try and fit into the timeline, I got a lot out of it and I really love like I love the world of of alien and I love spending time in that in that universe and just the the different ideas that you can uh the equations that you can plug the xenomorph into that feed these really big ideas yeah I feel like after listening to this audio drama I am more inclined to give myself permission to just go read a bunch of the ancillary stuff right yeah um, just just read the canon ones, baby. Well, yeah, I'm not gonna read ever. I got <laughs> I got things to do. I'm not reading all of it, but yeah, like what, maybe one or two, just of the bigger uh, ones that are considered canon, just to see what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, because I think that the le- the 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 least that they will do is just expand your idea of the broader mythology of this world. Um, I like because introducing this new alien group, it really expand because. The I liked the idea of the engineers, but it also was too like it tied too closely to humanity. They were they were they were human like, and they're implied to have um, created humanity, and so they they're like too close to us. There's also there was a version of the script at one point where uh, Jesus was an engineer. Yeah, or implied to be implied to yeah. yeah. Um, but this idea that. This other totally different alien group uh, was not only utilizing the xenomorphs in some way, shape, or form, but also that like these very alien-looking aliens existed outside of our own mythology is a really like cool thought that like it's not just us and like this other group that is like us. Right. Um, so I like how it expands, and then having that it then you can really like make sense that yes, there's a, the predators also exist in this universe and they're just kind of hanging out. And this engineered weapon is something that they like to hunt sometimes because they love a challenge. Right. They love a challenge. And this was specifically designed to kill baby. When you get a shot, you kill. 
<laughs> what? Um, go, go, nothing. Going back really quick um, to the to the sort of Anubis aliens and the anatomy of the Anubis aliens. Yeah, they've got the they've got the legs right. Like they've got the what like four legs ish. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, two to four, and they've got the smaller arms, yes. right? And I can't help but be reminded of xenomorph anatomy. And if they, and they don't, I don't recall them like taking the time to stop and really talk through this aspect of it. But if, if they are, if they were incubators essentially for the xenomorphs, uh, we've seen in stories that take place after this one, but were written before this one. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, that they could pull from that establish this idea of aliens or xenomorphs being able to s- sort of adapt their DNA. Yeah. You know, so like I like that idea and I like that it's there if you want to dig into it. Right. But it's not something that they stop and it's like, whoa, doesn't that look like that to you? It sure does. Let's science for an hour and figure <laughs> out why that might be and stuff. But I thought that was uh, an interesting uh, detail. Yeah, I mean, and they they talk a little bit about how the xenomorphs, because they they find some, uh, I guess they were hibernating xenomorphs that uh, slightly resemble the the dog aliens in that they're like, oh, they're a little bit bigger, and they like have a, a little bit of different like armage. Um, but yes, the the xenomorphs are super adaptive, and and if you if you were to go into the uh, the what what did you call it e- extra side stuff. Um, ancillary the ancillary content um there is there there's a very big line of like especially because they wanted to sell toys in the like early aughts right when you get into the like the alien versus predator stuff they have so many different versions of the the xenomorphs like i um i had a few of the the action figures where there's some xenomorphs that have these like giant fins that like pop out of their their skulls which are pretty dope um, and then I think in Alien Three, there's a dog xenomorph, right? Yes. Um, is that were you afraid to spoil that? No. Oh, okay. I just, I just, why invoke Alien Three? <laughs> because it's Again, just a good example. I did it. I did it earlier when I was talking about Lance Henriksen. Why invoke Alien Three twice? I'm just saying it's a it's a prime example of what we're talking about. It, yes. Alien Three does everything that everyone wanted it to. <laughs> It shows you a new version of the xenomorph, and that xenomorph does a thumbs up as they lower it into lava. <laughs> it, it's like, I know now why you cry. It's because I'm an alien. Um, uh, I do feel, though, that I was robbed of a fulfilling childhood for never having owned a xenomorph action figure. They were really cool. I bet. Um, I was a big action figure guy um, because I used to, like, do little storylines with them because I was an imaginative kid. I did that shit too. Um, and so, uh, but they were always the designs, you know, it, because all the the xenomorphs are based off of Geiger designs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that guy can fucking create, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Um, and so all of the action figures were phenomenal. Right. Um, they had crazy designs and also the way that they they made them work. So, like, for example, the one that had the big giant fin, um, you could fold it back into its body and then like you would give it a specific like quadrupedal form, for, like p- 
pose and that's what would make it pop out. Okay. Um, so it was like a, like one of the, like a lizard defense mechanism kind of thing. Right, right, right. Um, which was so cool. Uh, and I, it just made me want to see more xenomorphs in a bunch of different forms. Like we get in, in the movies, we get the dog one. And then I think in, uh, alien versus predator, we get a predator xenomorph. That's right. Um, but that's like the full extent and predators are already, very human-like with the exception of their dumb faces uh they're they're basically just advanced humans or whatever sort of they got they got real big heads yeah they got big heads dreadlocks and and like a vagina mouth um and so but like i want to see something else i want to see some like give me an elephant xenomorph you know (laughs) give me give me a i don't know what what else give, give me a snake xenomorph Give me all the xenomorphs um, in every everything that you can imagine and that you can't imagine. Give me like a like a squid monster xenomorph. You know a, what I'm saying? I want a moose, a xenomoose. Yeah. yeah, I want it too. Yeah. That's that's what I want. Where wh- what's 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 Geiger up to? Is he dead? <laughs> I I don't know. Do you got his number? Try it. Try it. <laughs> if, he, if he doesn't answer, he's dead. All right, I'll tweet him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, but like, that's the, the great thing about this creature that they had created is that like, it's so malleable and the the designs can vary so much. Like you get a lot of different designs in, uh, like Prometheus and in, uh, Alien Covenant because they were like, all right, well, this is supposed to take place before the Xenomorph is formed. So how do we like make that work? And so you get the the proto face hugger, you get the um, the like engineer xenomorph, and then you also get the neomorph. I think is what they called it um, with the one the like beluga morph. That's right, beluga morph. Yeah. Yes. And those were great. Um, I just want more of that. Right. Well, uh, you gotta you gotta start writing letters to get to get them to make pro. Three threeus, so we can see more of David experimenting with these things. I just, I also just remembered these are uh, Fox properties. Disney now owns Fox, which means the odds of us getting another David movie, I would think, have dropped precipitously. Maybe, or Fox is like, you know what? People really want those David <laughs> dolls. <laughs> just yeah, all the kids want Michael Fassbender action figures. Heck yeah. Really, this made me want to see, or I guess hear the other the other books because I imagine that they are just as as interesting and imaginative as this one. You were mentioning that something they do something really cool with the xenomorphs in the original uh, Aliens three story play screenplay story. <laughs> Um, yeah. Are you referring to, um, I know when I talked about the comic, yeah. uh, I was talking about, uh, some ideas that, that are introduced into the mythology that Ridley Scott would later kind of pick up and run with in part for Prometheus and Covenant. Yeah. Insofar as like the idea that, uh, one, their DNA is highly adaptable. Right. And two, that there's, a uh, uh greater than not probability that these organisms were engineered as 
bioweapons by by unknown entities. Yeah. So I want I, I, I just want to dive deeper into the, the greater mythology. And I hope that like it gives like I don't I guess I don't need them to have someone do a big soliloquy about like, oh, man, the engineers came and then they were at war with the the dog aliens and and then the aliens came. But like I would love to splash around in this world and like know the full history of it. And, and I hope that like in exploring the other stories they kind of dive into this you know what i'm saying yes yeah you know what i'm saying a lot of monologuing hell yeah just a lot of monologuing mm-hmm. like it's it's uh it's just two hours of like the the opening voice the anthony hopkins voiceover from thor yeah just two hours of that it's like before the dawn of light from the dark cold of frost giants yeah, and the frost giants show up with their like glowing casket, and they're like, "I'm an alien." <laughs> yes, yeah, just like that. Uh-huh. I love it. Yep. Oh man. Um, <laughs> do you have any last thoughts about this audio play or about the the alien franchise as a whole before we wrap up? I mean, I feel like uh, I could I could talk about Alien all day, but I I won't uh, because. We all have lives to get back to, but uh, I dug it. I dug it a whole bunch. Like I said, I thought they did a really great job with the characterization and the performance of Ripley, even though, as we've discussed, the story didn't necessarily need that character. And in fact, if they'd created a new character, it would have eliminated my single biggest gripe with the entire story. Right. But but I liked it. And I am now, I feel like maybe the highest compliment I can pay it is that I now do feel more inclined to go check out not even just the the two subsequent novels in this series, but uh, a lot of the other ancillary content as well. Yeah. Also, uh, as I mentioned, I just today just started listening to uh, the the Alien Three uh, dramatization done in this same style, uh, based on the William Gibson script. And so far, I'm I'm pretty into that as well. So, a uh, decent chance if I'm gonna go and and absorb the follow up stories to this, I will probably do it in this format okay does uh just laurel uh left cow does she reprise her role as uh as ripley i actually gotta i gotta look okay i'm not positive i mean i assume so why would you not hire her for this like, i don't know she's really she's very good at it yeah um her her emotional acting is is great and also her her ability to yell commands is dope it is. It's Laura Lefko. That's good. That's good. They know what they're doing over there. If you got an asset that powerful, you hold on to that shit. Yeah. Um, I agree. L- L- Laura. <laughs> She's like, fuck I'm, you. I'm, no, I I'm, have I'm trying, a name. Laurel. I'm trying to appeal. I'm trying to appeal. Hold on. Laurel. Listen. Listen. Come here. Get closer. Come here. Come here. Hey. Hey. What's up? Hey. You're doing a good job. Um, I... Uh, I think I think that you don't get enough credit for how good of a job you're doing. Um, it's not just that you sound like Sigourney Weaver, but like you're really able to pull out a lot of the emotional and uh, dramatic beats of this content that you're you're helping to create. And I think that you carry a lot of the weight of this uh, venture. So I think that you know, if if no one's told you today. You you're doing a great job. What? All right, you can you can back up now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she's she forgives you. 
I'm not looking for forgiveness. <laughs> I no regrets. <laughs> um, all right, so we're gonna wrap this up, Lex. I do, not only do I not understand, I actually feel scared. Oh, good, because it's spooky, <laughs> scary October. Ooh. That's why we chose the super scary sci-fi story. I mean, uh, there's an argument to be made that space terror is the very best kind of terror. Um, it's pretty good. Well, also, too, like, and, and I guess maybe this is one of the last thoughts I have about Alien as a whole, and especially that first story. I mean, I, I said that what I just said, space terror, somewhat facetiously, but no, I actually believe that, right? Because the first Alien is is nothing if not a haunted house movie essentially right. but whereas in most haunted house narratives if you escape the haunted house well then what's waiting for you out there is, is the world right it's it's outside like you can you can run away you can get somewhere safe whatever what's waiting for you outside what was waiting for ripley and the crew outside of the nostromo was just the endless void of space yeah where do you where do you run you know yeah who can who can who can hear you scream is the question we really set out to answer with this production. The answer, no one. Oh, we did it. We did it, guys. All right. Well, this is, as Lex said, this is the last episode of this podcast. We solved the mystery. Um, no. But uh, what did you guys think? Uh, you know that you can share your thoughts with us on Twitter, which is Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. But you can also hit us up on our personal social media, Lex, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael, and I'm at Tari J T A U R I J A Y. So thank you guys again for joining us for another installment of our spooky, scary presentation. Um, <laughs> we've been having a lot of fun this month doing a lot of horror stuff. I think we have one more left. Yes, there's one more one more episode this month. Hell yeah, bro! Gotta got, got get your gotta get your spooky scary on. Uh, and so keep keep an ear out on our Twitter to figure out what we're doing next. It's a mystery. It's not it's not vampire related, or it is. I just like doing this accent. That's offensive to someone somewhere, I'm sure. Only vampires. And you know what I say? Fuck vampires. Well, you know what? Uh, you know what vampires do? They organize and they vote. Mmm. Well. Do it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Fuck you, vampires. You suck. Yeah? That's, that's, honestly, that's why most polling places are only open during the day. It's, yeah. to, it's to suppress the vampire <laughs> oh, <no>. vote. <laughs> <laughs> they have like one, like they have like a one or two hour window in which is <laughs> like gets dark. They all gotta run out, hope the line isn't too long and stuff. Yeah. Or they just wear a lot of sunscreen. Blade told me that that's how a vampire survives. That or like in in, uh, Buffy where they just run around under blankets. Right. Of course. Um, But yeah, so keep an ear out on our Twitter. uh, Or I guess an eye because you read things unless we make a video. um, uh, For what's coming next week. Thank you guys again for joining us for this spooky, scary installment. And we will see you next week. Until then, this has been the retrospective that's introspective. And now you have a new perspective. Dope. Meantime, I'm going back in my pod for another 20 years with no memory of this episode retained. Good. <laughs> <laughs>